We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is a public service reminder that wherever you are or whatever you're doing, you should still be laughing at Spurs. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Blackman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, look, it's still technically Derby week. We haven't played since the Derby, which means you should still technically be laughing at Tottenham. Um, I mean, you should always be laughing at Tottenham if possible, but this week in particular, you really should be laughing at Tottenham. I mean, I realize they are beating NS Mura with a fairly strong team. So, you know, congrats to them on that. Uh, but yeah, still plenty of time to laugh at Tottenham. We, we don't play Brighton until Saturday. So unless you're listening to this, uh, after the Brighton game, for some reason, you should still be laughing at Spurs. And you, you can still do that going forward. Um, just a few quick things before we get started. This is actually the second podcast I'm recording today. And depending on when you're listening to it, it may be the second podcast you're getting to today. But if you're saying, what are you talking about? And somehow you missed it on the feed because of timing. There's a podcast right before this one. That is me talking to Lee Dixon. Um, and it's really funny because, you know, we talk so much about tactics and uh, stats and data and transfers and, you know, all the sort of conversations surrounding modern football on this podcast. And sometimes, you know, thanks largely to Tim and Clive and Paul and not so much myself, but we do get into the history and the meaning of it. But what really moved me in talking to Lee was when he got on to talking about the Arsenal and what it meant when he went there and the way the cultures and the traditions of the club were passed down and the, the size of the institution and the meaning of the institution and how you know that weighed on him. Just really, uh, if you can be nostalgic for an era you didn't really get to experience, it, it transmitted that sense of nostalgia to me. So you know, if you haven't listened to it, I recommend it. If you have listened to it, thank you so much and thank you to him. Uh, it was our final day today of the Just Giving fundraiser, and we did hit right around 25,000 pounds, 122% to goal, uh, 805 people uh, donating. Uh, we donated as well, of course, and, and I just want to say thank you. I mean, it, it, it means the world to us to be able to do that. It means the world to us that, that you've given so generously, so thank you for that. So with that having been said, we'll get into the uh, the nonsense portion of the podcast now, where I introduce Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Hello, Tim. 
Hello there. Clive has given himself a holiday. Uh, his PTO time was not approved by management, but, uh, you know, we'll just have to see how that goes in, uh, I guess, we'll go into arbitration or something and, and figure it out. So some kind of alternative dispute resolution. No big deal. Uh, he'll be back. He'll be back tomorrow, in fact. And, and we should have a pod tomorrow, I think, with Scott and a, a Premier League roundup analytics type thing for patrons and then uh, the instant reaction on and on. on. So uh, Brighton at the weekend. Tim, it, it it sounds weird to say it, but having just come off a North London derby, but this game feels like the first real measuring stick uh, of the the resurgence of the new period since the the transfer window shut and the international break ended, and it's the last game before another international break, so it feels very symmetrical for me. Spurs obviously the, the bigger game, but you could argue on current form and certainly standing in the table, this is potentially a, a bigger challenge. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are of, of the challenge that faces us on Saturday, going to the Amex and facing a Brighton that is high-flying in the table, but ironically, having sort of a reverse experience to last season where they were playing excellent football, putting up great metrics and losing, this season, they're just getting super lucky, <laughs> getting results without the XG. So what's your take on them? Certainly a, a big moment for Ben White going back to uh, his former club. Yeah, long live variants, say yeah. I. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because um, at the beginning of the season, you kind of think, well, are they getting lucky or is this just like the luck they weren't getting last season coming back? Like what, what actually is this? So it's actually a, a really big game for them as well um, in that respect in seeing how far they think they've come. But for us, I mean, the thing is the North London derby victory, that has to be a launching pad for us, right? That can't be... That can't be the, oh, what a great result that was. That made everyone... It, it's got to be like the Chelsea game was last season. It's got to be a transformative result. Um, and, and I guess like the Chelsea game is slightly different because we were losing all the time before that, whereas we had some momentum pre-Tottenham, but now it's supercharged momentum and we've got to use it. I'm sure that's what Mikel Arteta will be saying to the players as well. I'm sure he'll be saying, look, that was great, wasn't it? Let's do more of that. That feels really, it feels really good when we play really well, isn't it? Go and do it again um, type thing. But I, I agree with you. I think it's another uh, real measuring stick. I, I you start to notice actually in the Premier League that most games feel like that. Maybe not Norwich at home. Um, maybe that didn't that that felt a bit more like okay, if we can't beat this lot, we might as well pack up and go home. Whereas you know Burnley away feels like a, a measuring stick, and Spurs is a measuring stick, and now Brighton away is, and that and that's just the reality of the thing. Particularly when it must be said, you're not, you know. Arsenal aren't all that good anymore. <laughs> mm. And like the the kind of mid tabley teams, we're not as far above them as we used to be. Um, so uh, absolutely. And and I think um, a lot of us have got a lot of time for Brighton. I do wonder if this is a good time to play them though, because like you said, after a good start, they've kind of uh, maybe leveled off a little bit. They were quite lucky to get a point at Palace. Um, I think at the time of speaking, it's not clear whether Eve Basuma will be fit to play. Mm. It sounds very 50-50, but it kind of sounds like if he does play, he might be patched up. Um, they're missing Danny Welbeck. They're missing another couple of players as well. So in in that respect, it might be quite a good time to go there. But I completely agree with you. This is This is a measure. This is like... A measuring stick in the way you, you remember after the Norwich game, and we were talking about we won't know whether this is the first step on the road back or, or just like a fluky team, a fluky mm -hmm. win against a shit team. That this feels like now, like that tranche of three games: Norwich, Burnley, Spurs. That felt like a bit of a block 
to me. And I suppose this is part of that block as well, just before the international break. But actually, this feels like this feels like the other side of the Spurs game now, where we've got a run of games that aren't easy, but that we could build up some momentum and build up some points. And yeah, I you know th- this will be quite a tough game, but I do quite fancy us to win it. I have to say. Yeah, I mean, points-wise, they're in second. A log jam in second with City, Chelsea, United, and Everton on 13 points. They've scored just the eight goals. Um, granted, we scored five. And conceded just the five. Uh, granted, we've conceded 10. But, you know, it feels like a good measuring stick in part, I think, because we know that Liverpool, City, Chelsea, probably United, at this point, maybe a little too soon to suggest that we should be competing with them. I'm not saying we couldn't, maybe with like, with like a United in particular, but we're still just getting our strength back, so to speak. We're still just rebuilding this thing. Brighton feels like the right level because we probably should be better than them, but they're off to a pretty good start. They're a decently stern test, but one that we should probably pass. And so I feel pretty good going into this game saying like, yeah, I expect us to win it, and I think we should win it. I think we have the talent to win it, and yet they are a good team, well-coached, and will pose a challenge. Maybe... (laughs) You know, more so than Spurs, yeah? I was just going to say, in one sentence, if you were looking for more symmetry, after we beat Chelsea on Boxing Day um, last season, 3-1, Brighton away was the next game that we played, and we went and won it 1-0. And, you know, with with a decent professional performance, and I'd absolutely take that again. Oh, absolutely. And then I think we we played them pretty much off the park at the end of the season at the Emirates. having not played well against them the season before. So obviously Neil Mope in the news. Paul, I'm curious if you believe in um, dressing room material. Uh, I don't know if I explained that properly, but like bulletin board material. So you know, something you pin up on the dressing room wall to get the players motivated because Brighton tweeted out a picture of Neil Mope sort of like fake rubbing his eyes. Like, he, oh, boo hoo. We, you know, we face Arsenal at the weekend, the whiners, the babies, you know, Neil Mope who hurt Leno, Injured Leno with what I think was a pretty shitty move, pretty dirty foul. Um, but, you know, obviously they're sort of taking the piss with that. I don't know what the idea behind that is, but do you believe in players being able to be motivated by that sort of stuff? Be like, look at look at what these assholes are doing. I mean, is that the kind mm-hmm. of thing that if you're, if you're the manager, you're putting on the bulletin board? Yeah, probably. But uh, maybe he's crying because his injury on Leno led us to develop Emmy Martinez and get £20 million for it. And they're upset that we then took that money and invested it in uh, taking Ben White from them. So I, I guess I'm not sure what he's crying about. Yeah, listen. Um, <laughs> I mean, would that find true? Own, but, I think that's probably not the main way, but yeah. No? Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I've heard it both I, ways. <laughs> yeah. I think teams find their motivations in very, very petty ways. In fact, the pettier, the better. Keeps it simple. Very simple metrics, you know. Uh, Arsenal don't like it up on stuff. Um, it's it's an easy idea to to get uh, consensus around in your team, get you know the red meat kind of stuff. So sure, mm. but um, I don't think it's going to do them a lot of good in the sense that if that's what it comes down to, God help us. Uh, and you know, we'll be pinning up a picture of him pinning up his picture in the dressing room. So we'll yeah, take that. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so it all works. Um, um yeah. yeah. Well, it's look, any little motivation, you know, the one thing I will say is that I, I do think that it is important to keep players motivated. Um, 
there's an international break around the corner. You're coming off a big adrenaline rich fixture and it's easy to feel like, ah, we've done it. We've turned the fabled corner. Look how great we are. So anything you can do to make sure that the focus is right and the players are up for it in the proper way, I'm all for it. One thing that obviously now we're going to confront is a couple of months without Granite Shaka. Mm -hmm. And I think how you talk about this, Paul, has to be done carefully because you never want to say, oh, good, Shaq is injured. That's great. That's not the right way to talk about it. But I do think you can say it presents an opportunity. It is never the case, in my view, that you're better when a key player in the first team is out injured. But I do think it can be the case that when that player is out, it can force the team to evolve to other solutions that long-term help it find superior solutions, you know, solutions that may actually even be better. And again, I think Chaka had a good game in the Derby. I think he's a better player than is often said. And as I've said repeatedly, I also think that there may be solutions for this team that make it a better team long-term moving away from him. So that's sort of my very careful way of saying this is not a good development, but is a development that provides an opportunity. And this will be our first game to see, and not really the first game because we played without Shaq before the Derby, but I'm I'm torn in thinking, given mm-hmm. how well we played in the double pivot in the Derby, that the manager will want to stick with that system and just bring Sambi in, or Maitland-Niles, I guess, versus going back to that more quote-unquote 4-3-3 type system we saw before Shaq was reinstated from the red card. So do you have a do you have a feeling on my take that this is an opportunity and and how the manager might try to solve it? Uh, it's definitely an opportunity. It's certainly an opportunity for Sambi, whether that starts this weekend or very soon, coming to a theatre near us. Um, look, there are some people who are delighted that Chak is out. They just are. And so it makes everybody else talking about it kind of, it, it, it kind of it tends to bleed into the overall conversation because of that. Like, I'm a, I'm a Chaka fan Maybe that's too strong a word, maybe the wrong word for it. But uh, I've generally been in his corner because I've thought he's been underappreciated, and I've kind of, although I didn't agree with some of the thing, some of his behavior while captain. We all know the incident with throwing off the shirt while walking off the pitch. I disagreed with it. Uh, I also understood how somebody uh, in his scenario might have reacted to it. So I've generally been uh, very sympathetic to his side of the picture and his story at Arsenal. But guess what? I feel a giant butt coming on here, kind of like yeah. how Arteta's looked in his pants on the Derby. My, my goodness, he looked just fantastic. Fine. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. He looked fine. Um, as he took warrior pose, that was great. <laughs> um, I am excited to see Sambi. I'm, a, uh, you know, if they told me Chak is out for three weeks, I'd have been like, woo Um probably rashly because I I want to see Sambi in there yeah. for a few games playing with party. I just don't want three. I think anybody who thinks they're glad Chaka's injured is going, is not going to feel that way as we go through three months because you need, you know, not just injury cover there. There's, he provides something that goes beyond, Oh, look, he can spin a pass up the wing or, Oh, look, he's a presence in the dressing room. Radars are very poor at capturing the holistic contribution of a player. He does a lot of good things on the pitch beyond, Oh, look, he spun another good pass, but he's a little slow heading backwards. He does. He provides good hustle, even though he's not a great defender, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we will, we may struggle to quantify what it is he does, but he does stuff, and I think we'll miss that. But 
it's an opportunity and it's an opportunity for say three well one of them doesn't need an opportunity because he's already got a job martin odegaard or smith rowe should probably mostly be on the pitch anyway but it opens the door to us playing different ways against different teams and you know uh, Brighton at home, certainly, but maybe even Brighton away might suit more of a 4-3-3 setup where we go at them. I guess it depends whether Basuma's is in their midfield or not and how fit he is and how much he can cover. Um, but if he's not, if it's Adam Lalana, well, that is not the beefiest midfield you've ever seen up against us. And maybe a 4-3-3 is entirely appropriate if we've got the possession and we've got the ball and we need to go at them. Uh, certainly a huge opportunity for Sambi. Maitland Niles, you know, I think a lot of us scratched our head about why he was still with us at the end of the window. It seemed like the time to move him on. And yes, there wasn't a good offer from elsewhere that maybe like making Everton stronger by giving them a loan for Maitland Niles, a loan they wanted. That doesn't Especially make any two, sense to me. Two year loan. I mean, when I heard that, it's just like, what are you, what are you doing? No. <laughs> yeah. Why would you, like, they are absolutely, well, right now they are, they're ahead of us. They're absolutely a rival. Why would we do anything to make their lives easier with a, a loan for Maitland Niles? So I'm glad we didn't do that, but that's all we had for him. So now he has a real chance to knuckle down and, you know, whether he starts or whether he comes on after, with 30 minutes or 20 minutes to go to back up Sambi or to give us more resilience, if if uh, God willing, um, we have a lead and we want to hold on to it or to supplement uh, as a wing back ahead of a fullback. You know, I guess that's basically what we did against Spurs when we, uh, put put on all the fullbacks, uh, Wenger style, and we brought on <laughs> Nuno, and we brought on Maitland Niles, and you know he could he could get a really good run over the next couple of months. Yep. But I think we'll miss Chaka, and I don't think we'll be quite able to quantify it. And it's not just because he's a good character and a leader, blah blah blah. And uh, we'll the, miss his red cards, his penalties, his, yeah, his we'll rash moments. No, you, you just swayed me. I mean, I think I'm correct in saying, and often when I say that I'm not correct in saying, so correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I think there are two international breaks during the period mooted that he, he would be absent, yeah. um, which is astonishing because for God's sake, stop with the international breaks. But as a result, the actual amount of games that Arsenal play during that he period He only misses absence, one game. <laughs> yeah, half a game. <laughs> He's coming on at halftime against Brighton. Um, no, I mean, it's just not, you know, it's not the the crunch period. I mean, you, you don't want to be without any key first-team players when you get into December because whatever you think of any of the players, having a full complement of players when when the fixtures just go mental at that time of year, that that's always a help. Yeah. Um, Can I but, just say, well... Yeah. Uh, while Tim was going through his rundown of the significance of this game, I flipped. You know that moment you're looking for where you flip from the warm glow of the North London derby to getting nervous that everything's <laughs> just <laughs> happened? Right in the middle of t- I'm like, holy shit. Here we go again. Another benchmark game. But I do think like this is a great opportunity to keep the run going. And mm. I think we'll be up for it. And uh, I'm glad... I'm kind of glad that uh, Brighton got the draw at the weekend because they don't have that, oh, now we got to prove it, now we got to up our game thing. Okay, it might have destroyed their confidence, but I don't think it would have. I think this may take a little bit of the edge off their need to prove uh, that, it wa- you know, that it hasn't been a fluke, that it, they're up for it. I think it might just... Uh, I preferred the draw. At the end of the day, I preferred the draw than them having lost and having to come back and prove something in their next game. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the reality of Brighton is, for whatever reason, the metrics suggest they're playing worse this season, but the results are coming. Yeah. Um, I would be fine with the regression coming this weekend. Tim, mm -hmm. I, I'm going to ask you sort of the same question, though. Like, how do you want Arteta to address the absence of Granite Shack? And I think there's a lot of players now that have to really look at this period as, as their chance. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. Nicola Pepe got a view into life at Arsenal with Shaq available, which is he's probably just on the outside looking in. This isn't a kill Pepe thing. Nothing wrong with Pepe. Love Pepe. But I think that team that went out for the Derby is Arteta's very first choice. Without Shaka, we've seen Party come in and go to more to that 4 through 3 It's also an opportunity for Lakonga and maybe even Maitland-Niles. So I think, at a very minimum, the choice seems more directly Sambi or Pepe. I'm curious if you see it that way. And what players stand the most to gain and have the most to prove over this next six to eight weeks in terms of really establishing themselves so that when Shaka's back... They can say to the manager, I made an argument not to be left out anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is absolutely an opportunity. Um, and I described it as that on Twitter yesterday and loads of people saw the word opportunity and read the word, I am absolutely delighted and this is brilliant. Uh, <laughs> whereas what I meant, it, it reminds me of um, uh, that great, uh, there's a great bit in The Simpsons where uh, Lisa says to Homer, do you know that uh, in Japan they use the same word for crisis as they do opportunity? And he mm. says, yes, crisisunity. <laughs> and <laughs> that, that's, that's, what, that's what this is. Um, I, I think it's a fantastic opportunity, which doesn't mean it, it's good. I'd rather Jacka was fit and we had, three options, sets of options instead of two. But the thing that really intrigues me is, as you point out, we've actually got two options here. We can do that 4-3-3. Well, I, I don't think it was quite a 4-3-3, but for ease of reference, the 4-3-3 against Burnley with Partey, Odegaard and Smith-Rowe. Um, and, you know, that that wasn't... I think that was a kind of system that a lot of us were thinking, oh, we, we might do that home to Norwich, for example. And I know we ended the game against Norwich like that. Um, but not away at Burnley. So it shows that that system isn't just a let's beat up the little guys because we did it at Burnley away. Um, and there was a, like a tactical reason for it to build through party because we knew that um, Burnley play 4-4-2 and they'd press our centre-halves. So we wanted party to be the escape uh, from the goalkeeper. So, that, you know, there's an option there and it's not just the you know, the nuclear, let's beat up on these guys option. And then there's also the option to just put Sambi in next to party. Sambi has an awful lot to gain uh, from this. And and what a start he's had, by the way, because first party yeah. got injured and now Xhaka's injured. So he's, you know, he, he's getting real chances um, at the moment. And ultimately we can be, we can look at it with a cool head because nobody was expecting Sambi to replace Xhaka now. So if if he's not quite up to it yet, that's kind of fine because that's probably in line with what we expected. Like Arsenal gave Xhaka a new contract. They weren't expecting Sambi to go and take his place now. They were probably, you know, maybe this time next year, that will be more of a conversation if things go well. Mm -hmm. But what he, what he's got is an instant chance to make that the conversation now. And I don't think he has a lot to lose because if he's not really up to it, then, you know, it doesn't write off his Arsenal career. It's just he's not he's not ready yet. Um, or maybe he needs a little bit more time or whatever. So I don't think he's got a lot to lose unless he's absolutely dreadful, which I don't think he will be because he hasn't been at all. 
uh, yeah, you, you, you get the sense that basically so far he's been good, but you get the sense there's more there. And it's just a case of whether we see more because we've, we've had young midfielders before who you could say that for Song, Danielson, Genduzi. You say, oh yeah, they're, they're good. They look at home, but there's more there. And sometimes you get it and sometimes you get that more, you extract it, sometimes you don't. But what we're getting is we're getting an early chance to try and extract that from Sambi. And if we can't, it's it's not a big loss. And we can we can also protect him as well by flitting between those two different options. So it's not the case that we have to say, right, Sambi, you've got to play every game for the next three months. He might be so good that that ends up happening, but we can protect him a little bit just by kind of saying, look, sometimes we're going to do this. Sometimes it's going to be you. Um, and this, by the way, is assuming that all of our other midfielders stay fit. And that's that's where the real problem is here. Because we all want, I think, to move on from Xhaka at some point. And Arsenal, they've kicked the can down the road, but they're going to have to do it in the next two years. Yep. And so why this will be really valuable for Arteta is it will tell him whether the options are already there. And that that doesn't even have to mean that, oh yeah, when Jacka comes back fit, we'll just he's not wanted anymore or anything. It's just like, okay, we've got like three sets of options here now for, for central midfield. We've got three different setups we can use. Great. Like I, I don't think that by the time Jacka comes back, whatever happens, that he will be disposable. It's just a case of is he still indispensable when he comes back? And if he is, it's probably still not a massive deal because then you can say, well, okay, maybe that just means, yeah, next summer we need to look at buying someone or Sambi needs a little bit more time and development and we'll get a sense of how much further down the line he is because let's say Xhaka stayed fit the whole season, right? And Xhaka and Party stay fit now for the rest of the season. Sambi basically doesn't really get any game time. So this time next year, we're still not really sure what kind of player we've got or at least how yeah. ready he is. Whereas now we're getting that idea early. So I, I think it's a really interesting opportunity. And if I was Mikel Arteta, you know, look, I'd be, I don't know if sad is the word, I'd be disappointed that Jack is out. But yeah, Christ-a-tunity, that is the word. I, I like Christ-a-tunity and I certainly think it should be the title of the podcast. I, I think... We got time. I might say something. Yeah, but will I be listening to catch it? Um, (laughs) I I think the question is, like, it is not unrealistic for certain key players to play 38 league games this season or close to it. All right, maybe not during the Christmas period. Maybe that's asking too much. Like Saka, Smith-Rowe, Odegaard, theoretically, they can play every single weekend. That's just the reality of a league season with no midweek football. It is not that difficult to keep a good chunk of your team fit the entire season. Now, look, it can go very, very badly and go the other direction. But, I mean, we've seen it happen before. And so the idea behind not having European football is you can keep your team fit. And in keeping your team fit, you can settle on an established 11 and just run it out there every week. I do wonder what it would take in Shaka's absence for someone, whether it's the 4-3-3 system and it winds up being Pepe coming in, or it's a 4-2-3-1 and Sammy coming in, what it would take for someone to make this such a clear-cut case in Arteta's eyes that Shaka doesn't just come back after his injury and become a regular starter. It will be a very weird season for him because it'll be a season where he started late, got off to a bad start, got a red card, missed a bunch of games, played one game, missed two months, maybe even more depending on what the rehab really looks like. And now you have to say, you know, what what will it take for Shaka to be in the kind of match fitness and be ready to go? The good news is you would think he wouldn't have a lot of football on his legs 
come uh, the African Cup of Nations, which is a period where we undoubtedly will need him to be really good and really available. Um, so that's one to keep an eye on. Paul, when it comes to Pepe, we may have a decision coming up because he goes into the second to last year of his contract this coming summer. And if he's not regularly starting games for us and doesn't find a way to be a regular starter in Arsenal this season, and, you know, I mean, I look, I realize we get back into Europe for next season and suddenly there's more games to go around, but you do have to make a choice. That's sort of the summer where you'd want to sell or, or you know, talk about an extension or whatever the case may be. So what do you what do you think of the situation Pepe's in? I think he's a really interesting player because he has flashed some elite skill. There have been times when I've I've really wanted to love what he brings us, times when he's frustrated. And if you just set aside what we paid for him, I think it's still sort of a jury's out situation on what we have in Pepe. And now the question becomes, will the jury get the chance to deliberate to carry on the crap analogy? Like how how do you feel about the situation Pepe's in and how we can maybe finally fully get a read on what we have in him before we have to make a big decision. Because the other thing, Paul, is going into this summer, we don't have a lot of prime age attackers. We have a lot of good players who are young, who are getting older. Pepe is going right into the teeth of his prime right now. And you'd like to balance the age profiles by keeping someone like that in the team, but decisions have to be made. So how how do you, how do you see that playing out? I think there's also the fact that he's kind of part of, believe it or not, the older clique that's moving on because once Lacazette goes, uh, which he should do next summer, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think we can guarantee he leaves next mu- summer, thank God. Um, not that I don't love the man and appreciate his contribution, but apparently his contract will actually run out and therefore he'll have to go as opposed to every other summer. Um and then Aubameyang will be on his final year and he may be in the Leno situation where we're bringing in a new striker. Not that I like to talk about our players like this and I love these guys and I love Aubameyang. We need a whole a, a, a season of him being totally committed and then another season which we've basically committed and paid to. But, you know, it's coming to the end of a cycle for a particular group of players that, although Pepe is still pretty young, what is he, 26 now, looking down the the barrel of 27 or something like that. Mm. Um, And uh, yet he's not a starter. He's kind of a sort of a starter as a start of the season. And remember the discussion we had in preseason, has he played well enough to be the starter and to hold the position when Saka comes back? And we said, basically, yes, it's, it's up to Saka to take that spot off him. And he has, unfortunately. Now, of course, it's, it's the maybe that was the first game that Pepe didn't start, so you can't get too carried away. The, there's rotations, there's different looks for different opponents, and you know the Arteta's philosophy could be, I'm go, I want to uh, standardize basically on an eleven and play it every bloody weekend because we can because we're only playing one game a week. That's worth the darn. Um, or he more likely is going to want some tactical flexibility and Pepe will keep getting a look in on a regular basis. The other thing that counted against Pepe was we needed end product and end product meant one of three players. It meant Aubameyang, it meant uh, Lacazette, and that's one or the other these these days, or it meant Pepe. And now Saka, Smith-Rowe, uh, assists and goals. Okay, they're to each other. They they assist each other's goals, so that's kind of cheating. But anyway, they're giving us assists and goals that we were asking for, and they're delivering. So 
Um, but look, it's so early in the season. We've only, you know, we've only played three games in our season. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, we've only scored five goals. Um, so there's a lot to prove, a lot to play for. It's all up for grabs. Uh, the thing I'd say about Pepe, it's both the compliment and my frustration with him. There's pretty much nothing he can't do. He can dribble. Uh, he can whip in across. He can, although we think of him as very left-footed, he's got a bloody good right foot on on him when he wants to take a shot or put in a cross or or beat a guy. But he has patterns of play more than anything that make him predictable when when he's playing and you know he's going to come inside but he doesn't have to he can beat a guy on the outside he can go to the byline he can put in a cross there's nothing he can't do the question is is he a learning machine will he adapt will he run and that's the same for all of these guys and that's basically what you want it's what Sack and Smith Rowe are doing. They didn't stay at their level that they were at last year or the year before. It's what Martinelli, you know, we haven't talked about Martinelli, but, you well, know, we it's will. Yeah. on the docket. Because, <laughs> like, how do you, if you start, if you want Saka and Smith Rowe to start every game and Aubameyang and Odegaard, and like almost all of us do, um, you've got Martinelli and Pepe. Um, so, all of them have the same challenge to keep growing, keep adapting, keep learning and to get better and better. And I guess that's what you want. Uh, the only thing you don't want is one of them saying, oh, well, this isn't fair or, or I'm too big for this or this is who I am. And if they don't want to use me that way, I'm going to take my toys and go home. Um, mm. And Arteta's got to dangle enough opportunity that each one of them believes he's rooting for them to become the player they can become under him and that he can make them better and that they can play, you know, they may just have a sense that they're going to play two thirds of the minutes this season. Cause, cause they're going to keep getting enough chances between coming on as a, a sub, not a, with 10 minutes to go, but with 30 minutes to go or starting the next game. Or you look at Sterling getting dropped by Guardiola against Chelsea, but starting, you know, he's, his chin was probably on the floor but then he gets to play against Messi and Neymar. Now, okay, they lost, but yeah. he didn't know. He, did, he didn't know City that when he was a, on. Yeah, is a bad analog only because I think the level of the players they have in reserve are all players who could quite easily be starters for teams winning everything. You know what I mean? Like it's it's I think much that's very more. True. But, but yeah. isn't this the one position in on the pitch where we can say we have four guys who really ought to be? pushing to be start like Martinelli's well, great point. I and agree Pepe is great. Yeah, I agree. Should be. I don't think Arteta agrees with you. Not that he doesn't think Martinelli and Pepe are great. I he think may he, not. he clearly may not, he sees do. there being a hierarchy though, where Saka and Smith Rowe are ahead of them. I mean, that, that much seems clear. And maybe I'm just. Isn't it early though? Closer. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with you, but it is early. Like it's. Yeah, weird. absolutely. Yeah. I, well, so, so that 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 is an interesting point though tim because you know the pepe thing is one that we're going to have to make a decision on but like another one we don't have to make a decision on thankfully you know is martinelli and martinelli is a great example of someone who we kind of think could be a saka or a smith rowe presented the the chances to be that but a very different player a very end producty player and i know that's weird to say coming off a weekend when smith rowe and saka were all end product but 
in terms of what Arteta wants from positional discipline and connective play and technical security, you know, Pepe and Martinelli are a little different than that. They're chaos agents, right? And and in Martinelli's situation, I think just a perpetual motion machine towards the box and to shoot and to create shots, which is great. Does that align with Arteta's philosophy and what he wants? I think he's a player that, you know, is is probably maybe more than anyone a real casualty of the no European football because mm-hmm. I, I I believe firmly he'd be starting every Thursday and making a real argument for for himself and and showing what he's about. Granted, at a much lower level if it's if it's Europa League football, but when it comes to you know pulling the trigger to take a Smith Rowe out or a Sack out and put a Martinelli in with a Premier League game on the line when there's no points to spare, I think. You know that's really hard to do. It's really hard to show that trust when you haven't had a chance to to see it up close and and see it work. Especially given that he had the misfortune of having to start those early games when we didn't have much of a team to begin with. So, do you have a sense of of how Martinelli's role might evolve this season? You know, you could say, oh well, class Clive Wood, if you were on the pod, the players that start the game don't have to finish the game. But yeah. Arteta isn't exactly a share the game, you know, like Emery would make halftime subs. It was like his favorite thing to do. That doesn't seem to be Arteta's philosophy as much. So where do you think his, his future lies at least this season? Yeah, it's a difficult, it's difficult to see where the minutes are coming from for him. I I think less now that it's about him not being like an Arteta-y type player. And it's just more about the level of competition. Yeah. Whereas like when Smith Rowe came into the team, he was, you like, he was, what was he competing with? Like a cone, um, (laughs) uh, who I think nudged his way ahead of Willian in the team. Um, Like there, there was no one there. And then Saka, like, I guess Saka's kind of was competing with Pepe, but now um, Saka's very much the man. Um, so, like, I, I think there was just less traffic for those guys. The, the issue for Martinelli, I think, is he might have to wait out Aubameyang. Um, that, mm. That's the kind of thing for me, because I, I think that Arteta might be in close. So, with Pepe, for example, I've been thinking this week, like, is there any scenario in which he doesn't just end up going on a free at the end of his contract? Like, I don't see anyone buying him and I don't see him ever being like completely frozen out because he's quite good, but I don't ever see him impressing enough to get a new contract. Like, I, I you think, don't think there's a 40 million pound offer for him somewhere that he's made. Mm, for that. I guess who, no. who's even spending that kind of money? That's the problem, right? There's so yeah. few clubs right now in that market. Exactly that, exactly that. So, like, you might have been able to sell him to, like, a Spanish club or an Italian club, like, but, but you can't skin. now. So, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really do think, and and also he's, like, he's a bit of a risky player to buy because he's quite inconsistent. And he's a bit like, a, I don't know, like someone like Memphis Depay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who Barcelona ended up getting on a free. It, it's just one of those, I think, clubs are less inclined to roll the dice on players like that at the moment. So, um, but yeah, like, yeah, I, I think the thing is, it's just like that mixture of Martinelli, Pepe, Aubameyang just wouldn't work. And Pepe is probably a bit closer than Martinelli at the moment. I think Martinelli's aim for this season, um, unless there are a few injuries, in which case he gets in and gets a little run, um, which, which uh, just on a completely individual level, he's probably earned. He'd probably earn that kind of luck just because of the way last season went for him with injury. Mm. Um, but I, I think that the blocker for him is probably more a Bamiang. 
Um, and I think like next season, particularly if we get back into Europe, there might be, and, and, you know, hopefully he'll be, I mean, he signed a new contract last summer, so he should be okay in terms of contract, like waiting to, till then. He might just have to be a little bit more patient because one of the things about being a young player breaking in, I mean, it is ultimately down to your, your quality, but quite often it's just down to your position in the team. Like Bellerin broke through because Debussy got injured and Chambers wasn't coming up to the mark and, you know, Ashley Cole came through because Silvino's passport was made of blue tack. And, you know, Iwobi came through because Arsenal had like nobody to help progress the ball and he could do that. Like that, that's a lot of what happens um, when young players come through. It's, it's something opens up for them like it has for Smith Rowe. It, it's just, Things just quite haven't haven't quite opened up for Martinelli. So for me, like his aim this season should be, okay, I've had a new contract while this coach is here. So at some point, my my kind of quest is to nudge myself ahead of Pepe. And we've already seen this season that Arteta seems to have drawn that line in the sand between his guys and not his guys. Mm. And like Martinelli, I think his aim has got to be all right. Even if I'm not like a bona fide starter this season, I have to like I have to get in the dressing room door before it shuts. Basically, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I wonder. You know, we have we're home to Palace right after the international break. If Saka has to play a lot of football over the international break, mm-hmm. does does he start on the bench home to Palace? Could that be an opportunity? But then you say, well, yep. then it just be maybe Pepe coming in. There's the Leeds Cup tie at home. Yeah, that's I'm when you sure look at and say. That. I, yeah, I think, you know, if he hasn't, because I mean, it's possible that, but that that's October 26th and he may have played 10, 15 minutes of football since, you know, the first international break at that point. And then, you know, there's home to Watford on November 7th. There's home to Newcastle, November 27th. If you look at the, the fixtures over the holiday period, away to Norwich, home to Wolves and home to Man City over a span of five game, five days or so. So there, there isn't a lot there, and it's you know it's crazy. The the squad doesn't have to look that strong or that deep. You take European football out, and suddenly you're like, there are guys that, like Balogun is never going to play, ever. There is no scenario where Fuller and Balogun gets any minutes for Arsenal this season, because you can't freeze out Lacazette. I think Arteta through his actions has made it clear that Eddie and Kedia is is going to get some of the minutes when they're available over a Balogun. You know, I mean, I don't think you're going to see any more Cedric, which no one's going to cry about. You may not see any more Chambers or Marie. Again, not a lot of tears shed. So I'm not saying that, you know, we may not see any more El Nenny, although I think some people say you might be surprised. You might start this weekend. But those players you're not going to cry about because we know what we have with them and we're not too concerned. It's really just Martinelli more than anyone where you'd say, that's a guy we want to find out what we have. And so I, I think... The only pressure I think Arteta should feel other than to just win games and keep us on the right trajectory, that's all anyone cares about, try to find some room for that one guy, right? That one guy. Because even Pepe, as much as I like the player and I think he could be hugely talented and a huge asset to us, his future might be away from the club. But Martinelli's under a long-term contract. He's young. He's talented. We need to sort of find out what we have without obviously sacrificing anything. So um, I want to look around the league a little bit because I, I think there's some other bits and pieces here that are sort of interesting. But I should tell you about some stuff. There's there's a lot of stuff I can tell you about. You know what I'm going to tell you about? I'm going to tell you about being safe on the internet. Because like I, I just think given that we're all so online right now, internet security is super important. 
And you know who protects your internet security? IPVanish. IPVanish is a VPN or virtual private network. And it's so easy, by the way. All your phones now, your computers now, you can just literally click. They activate the VPN. Suddenly, poof. Poof, I tell you. You're vanishing on the internet. Your privacy is protected. They can't follow you around the internet. They can't tell what you're reading, what you're browsing, what you're watching, what you're listening to. But if it's this podcast, please tell anyone. Anyway, everyone. Uh, your business is your own. It's nobody else's. And IP Vanish protects that. Also, if you're trying to watch material where it's like, oh, you can't watch that. You're not from this region. Poof. You can be from that region. There's a lot of poof here. Good poof. Poof, you're in that region. Poof, you're, prote- you're protected. Look, I got up at 4 a.m. This is what you're getting, okay? <laughs> so it's IP Vanish. You're going to do ipvanish.com forward slash vision. ipvanish.com, ipvanish.com forward slash vision. Just read it off the screen, for God's sake, Ellie. It's not that hard. 65% savings. Wait, that can't be possible. It is. And they say it's equal to six months free. Again, that feels like it should be 50%. But I don't, it's 50% of a year. Uh, anyway, uh, if you do run into problems, no worry. 24-7 support by email, chat, and telephone. How about this? 6,000 reviews on Trustpilot. 4.7 out of 5 stars. 4.7 out of 5 stars. I mean, it's just the best. $44.99 for the first year with our exclusive discount. That's 65% off. You're talking about, what is that? I mean, what is that? That's like $4 a month to, to be able to be protected on the internet, to go browse stuff from other countries and look at stuff you want to look at. Nobody, nobody's a wiser. Nobody's following you around. Do it. IPVanish.com forward slash vision. And real quick, Mint Mobile. So look, let's just be honest. I was skeptical of this thing. Really, really skeptical. Because I pay a lot of money for phone service. And they're like, oh, it's 15 bucks a month on the nation's uh, largest 5G network with unlimited talking text plus high-speed data. So I'm like, no, that, that, that's not true. So they sent me a SIM card. I put it in my phone. It worked. It worked. Downtown, 5G. Poof, no problem. More poof. A lot of poof. Um, 15 bucks a month for unlimited talking text plus high-speed data on the nation's largest 5G network. That's what Mint Mobile is. And basically, they do it. Their secret sauce, they just cut out the overhead. Do you know how much it is to like rent space in retail stores and staff them? And have people that, who even, does that even exist? When was the last time you were in one of those? You don't need that. They're the first uh, uh, e-commerce only, web only cell service. But don't worry. It's 24-7 support, seven-day money-back guarantee. Look, use our promo code. They'll send you the SIM card. You pop it in your phone. If you don't like it, you just send it right back and you're done. You're fine. But if you do like it, you got 15 bucks a month of cell service. Poof. Should have been a magician. So it's mintmobile.com forward slash vision, mintmobile.com forward slash vision, mintmobile.com forward slash vision. 15 bucks a month self-service. You got a teenager who's got to get a cell phone or a young person that needs them for emergencies. Easiest, best, safest way to do it. Do it right now. Paul, is that enough of that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my word. Oh, my my lord. You're a little punchy, aren't you? You know who you sounded a little bit like there? Do you remember when uh, Andrew used to do the different characters on the Arscast? Yeah. And he had the holy, what was it, Holy Roller Network or the the Holy Roller Holy Roller Radio or whatever it was. Holy God FM. Holy God FM. Yeah. Oh, listen to Holy God FM. That's what he sounded yeah. like a little bit. I miss those days, Andrew. Bring the characters back. Mick Bentner, that was a good one. The Andre Arshavin stuff. I mean, I I would play that for my wife, dying laughing, and she would just stare at me weirdly, yeah. like there was something wrong with me. But she does a lot. To be fair, it's not just when I'm listening to the Arscast. We could talk about more of that later. Um. Okay. Yeah, back to the football. Sorry. Where, where are we? Who am I? <laughs> Who am I talking to? Punchy, okay. Lee, tell me more about... Yeah, just a little bit. Um, so one of the things that I, I thought was interesting during the week is uh, watching Manchester United. And 
Paul, like they are a club that cannot get out of their own way. And I know Cristiano Ronaldo spared their blushes, but they feel a lot to me like, like what Chelsea were under Lampard. A sleeping giant, now granted, not quite, I don't think they have quite the level of talent. They're a little imbalanced because guess what? Instead of getting the midfielder they need, they went and got a 37-year-old striker, which to be fair, he's a pretty talented player, but you know, you could decide if that was the right move. But it's starting to feel a little bit like whatever they could achieve, Ole is a a cap on them. And I'm always sort of curious how we look at other teams' coaching situations versus our own, obviously. Chelsea pulled the trigger, they went and got Tuchel, and the rest is quite sad history, if you ask me. How do you look at that United team? Because I watched them, and they just play terrible football. I mean, it was it was sort of a masterclass in, in me not knowing what to root for because Unai Emery gets the lead against United. They should have been up four or five. He makes a sub. He takes off his striker. You know, they sit back a little. They start to get battered, and he winds up losing the game. It all felt a little too familiar, if I'm being honest. But, yeah, when you look at United, I mean, I have always sort of thought the top four is totally out of our reach. Now, part of that is we just didn't get off to the start to the season we need. Part of that is I'm not convinced we're playing consistently good enough football to get there. Part of it was I looked at those four teams, Liverpool, City, Chelsea, and United, and said none of them are gettable at this stage. United are the one, I think, that if you were going to pick one off, it would be them, and purely on the basis of what appears to be a pretty pedestrian coaching job. So, do you agree with any of that? Do you have anything to say on any of that? Can you please help me out so I can stop talking? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you're onto something. I don't think they're quite the Frank Lampard basket case for a, a number of reasons. Like mm. uh, Ole has tremendous support within the club in particular. Um, Frank Lampard had tremendous support uh, within a section of the supporters who uh, kind of hark back to a time at Chelsea who they they felt a little closer to who who you know who want to see Tammy Abraham rather than than some oh, all right Lukaku was one of their own too but rather than buying in all these foreign imports they wanted to see a bit of some of their own and feel a little alienated so he had tremendously strong support from a section of their supporters which kind of kept him going for a while where Abramovich who's also one of his buddies, but that wouldn't stop him taking out a gun and shooting him through the back of the head. Um, You know, he kept him around longer than we thought he would. We thanked him for every moment, and he kick-started our season, which started game 15 last year uh, Mm -hmm. for us with his team, and brought in Toko, and with the same players, swapped a couple of them, actually implemented a footballing way of playing, a, a system or a related some themes within a system and i think that's where you're right with united they don't they have great individuals they have a couple of holes but they have enough individuals that uh they could have best part of two top quality players for almost every position on the pitch and i'm sure they could set themselves up in a, a way that that even the guys who are a bit more average your freds your mctominays uh, are pl- are playing a role where a very boring player is all you needed. Um, the the thing I think that saves Ole a little bit is it was very hard to work out what um, Alex Ferguson's system was as such. It was kind of a way of playing where you had a lot of players, uh, a few of whom had special moments, and they just kind of adapted. And it was more a, a philosophy of attack. Um, 
and an attitude about them and and solidity and a good base at the back, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't you. He's not the guy you would develop your philosophy of play from. Your philosophy of what you should be as a club, uh, your approach, your attitude, etc. I think Ole, the one advantage he has is that he doesn't. What he tries to put out there isn't a million miles from what Ferguson might do. He, just Ferguson would have made sure he had the player he needed in the right spot. Um, I think the good news is I think Ole has a lot of time in the job. Uh, they're not going to do to him what they did, to, what Chelsea did to Lampard. And I think you're right. There is a vulnerability there because they have individuals. They don't really have a way of playing and they light up once or twice in a game or occasionally three or four times and they tear somebody a new one. Back to that expression again. Um, but they don't have a system in the way that you have a, a at, at Liverpool, that you have a Chelsea that uh, takes advantage of the, all those players and they're going to have enough off days that if somebody were really, really good, they might be able to catch them. Now, they were like that last year and they, uh, you know, what were they second last year? Um, yeah, sort of, kind of, yeah. Yeah, they, ju- they the problem will be is they won't have enough off days is my concern. But yeah, there's something there. Uh, the good thing is Ole, I think, will be around quite a long time. Um, uh, but, I think he's a ceiling. I mean, I think he puts yeah, a clear ceiling on them. I, like, I'm not saying it's a balanced team or it's a team that you know should beat like Liverpool or, or Chelsea or or City to the title necessarily. But I certainly think, look, you don't go out and get Cristiano Ronaldo when you have Pogba and when you have Bruno Fernandez, you know, and the, and the players they have in that team. You're not going out. And, yeah, you're not going out and getting Cristiano Ronaldo because you think he's the piece that can keep you in the top four. That's not the plan. I mean, the plan, there may not have been a plan. It might just have been, oh, it's great for marketing, and that's more what they are right now as a commercial outfit than a footballing outfit. But Build Tim, a bridge like, with the fans. Well, stop them yeah. going somewhere else. I don't think they could stomach. Well, like, The Glazers couldn't have stomached uh, the reaction City. from the fans, him at City, yeah. Well, and, and you look at it. Look, they played Leeds, Southampton, Wolves, Newcastle, West Ham, and Villa. It's not exactly a murderer's row, but you want to hear the next seven of their next eight games. Here you go. Everton. Leicester, Liverpool, Spurs, City, Chelsea, Arsenal. I mean, that that's seven in their next eight. They have Watford away mixed in there. That's it. But like Chelsea away is in there. Liverpool is in there. City is in there. Arsenal, whatever you think of us. Everton and Leicester, who I know Leicester are really down right now. Everton are playing okay. But like it's, it's basically they play seven of the eight teams that you'd expect to be contesting European places or the title over their next eight games. And I think we'll see what there is there. Tim, I, I guess I'm just asking you to go into the land of fa- fantasy with me for a minute. If Arteta really has this turned around and it's way too early to say, and it's way too early to be talking like this, but it's a podcast that we can talk about whatever we want. It's our podcast. So like whatever. Um, if, 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 if there's a world where Arsenal turns this all the way around and has a top four challenge, a, do you agree that it's potentially at the expense of United and B, how do you generally see that possibility in terms of them under Ole and and maybe just sort of the comparisons between like us with Arteta, Chelsea with Lampard, and, and what's going on there? Yeah, I, I mean, they would be the most vulnerable of the four, definitely. I think um, I read an interesting article, um, I think it was in The Independent today that was about Ronaldo, that basically said he gives them 
quite a few problems, but then like he solves them. So actually, yeah, it's look, at, look of, at the game yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's almost like not quite a net neutral, but like it's it's kind of like yeah, he he gives you quite a bit like um yeah another good article I read from uh, Michael Cox about the PSG Man City game, and he was pointing out like how often Man City attacked the space behind Messi because he like doesn't even vaguely pretend to track back like he walks. But and you know how often, how much joy Man City got there. But then what happened? Messi scored a brilliant goal, and that was it. Yeah. Um, and so Messi and Ronaldo are both moving into this kind of phase of their careers where, um, I mean, to some extent, all big players take something away from you in terms of structure because that's what attackers have to do. That's how you score goals. But they've both that moved a into a phase of it. by Messi, wasn't it? Lying down behind the wall. Because he got all that PR for helping out defensively, and yet he still didn't just lying down. Yeah, he didn't have to run around. He wasn't lying down behind the wall. The wall just happened to be there. That's what he's doing. He's been lying there the whole time. He's very short. I will. I will lay on the pitch for literally half his wages. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, so there's a and you know I think I I think um, United yes definitely like this Ronaldo signing wasn't really planned and it probably shits on Sancho a bit. I do think and and by the way I think there's nothing wrong with this. I do also think yeah it is the Man City thing not just from a branding perspective though like if that's who you're competing for the title with then not letting them have him (laughs) is like that I think that's a perfectly reasonable way to do business because Ronaldo at Man City that really would have been scary because that is exactly what Man City are missing um so in in short yes I would see United as as the most vulnerable but I still I, I don't see it to be honest like um like the the top four could finish in any order, but if they all play to their potential, I think United would finish fourth. Like I, I still think Liverpool are, are a real force, um, particularly if they keep players fit. City and Chelsea, I think uh, I, I still think Chelsea will win the league regardless of um, what happened last weekend against City. Mm. I, whereas United. I kind of think second, they finished second last year. I kind of think that's their ceiling. I don't look at them and think, yeah, they can overtake Man City. Like, or, or yeah, uh, like basically all four of those teams at their best, United, I think, uh, are some way below the other three. Um, and they perhaps got a little bit lucky last season with Chelsea wasted half a season with Lampard and Liverpool got 100 injuries. And, and so things worked out for them and they got second. But, um, that 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 would be your optimistic. They would be the ones in your sights. But to be honest, I I still don't see it. I still think, just by virtue of having a player like Ronaldo, that's not going to happen. You know what's hard? Like it used to be in, back in the good old days when you know we we'd scrape top four by hook or by crook. You'd have like one team that you knew you had to look out for. You know what I mean? There was that one team like it was Liverpool or it was Spurs or one season it was I want to say Villa. Um, yep. You know. Just trying to chart a path to top four now, or even top six. Well, if West Ham get this result, never to oh, but Everton are playing that team. But United could get this result, but Leicester play. Like, there's just so many teams now in the reckoning that we're all just gonna have to sit back and see how it plays out because the podcast is totally unable to control the outcome of the table, unfortunately. So <laughs> we'll see how that plays out. Um, Tim, one thing by the way, you know, talking to Lee Dixon today and and. You know, he really waxed lyrical about the culture at the club and the values of the club. And, and it, like I said, it gave me nostalgia for a period I didn't really live through. 
you know, football has changed so much and there was the mooted Super League and obviously the Kroenke takeover and there's the there's the things that people don't love about modern football. But if there's one thing that is happening a bit at Arsenal right now, there seems to be sort of a, a renewed love affair with some of the players and the fans and a feeling like they get it. And of course, of course that happens because like, you know what? You always say it. Who wins the player of the month? Who's the most popular player? It's the new signing. And well, we've got lots of them around right mm. now. I've never been one for like the homegrown rule or caring where a player comes from. I mean, I'm an American. So like as long as they pull on the Arsenal shirt, I love them. I don't where they, care where they come from. But in terms of this, you know, Ramsdale and the way he, you know, he, he had a great interview with the club today uh, on, on their Twitch account talking about loving Jamaican food. And there's Ben White. And he's, you know, part of the England setup. And Ramsdale was called up as well. And there's Smith Rowe who will be part of the England setup for years. And Saka, who's already a part of it. Um, I mean, do you think that that, that matters? That, that I don't want to say Englishness because I don't want to make it about nationalism so much, but just that little bit of connectedness to the history of the club and not feeling like you're, borrowing the club or that you're there on borrowed time, but that, that there's more of a connection. I mean, do you think that that is important in terms of people being able to get a little more connected to the players and the players to the people? I mean, I mean, I don't, I want to be careful, right? Because hell I'm, I'm a foreigner. A lot of people listening are not English and don't have that connection, but even I can't help but look at that and say, I think there's something to that. I think there's something to the, the connection that's able to be built that way. And, and something about the pipeline of Arsenal, you know, fueling, players into the England team. You know, that that used to be a big part of the tradition of the club. Yeah, so I I, I don't think um, it comes down to nationality. I think um, it, it comes down to... I haven't listened yet to, to your interview with Lee, but... You the, son the, of a... <laughs> I will do. I'll get there. Okay. Um, <laughs> Lee Dixon came from Stoke to Arsenal. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that, um, that, that kind of, I guess, you'd look at with the players that we've bought this summer, Arsenal's a step up for pretty much all of them, right? Like they've come from Anderlecht um, and Sheffield United and Brighton and Bologna. Um, you know, Bologna, decent team, but like Arsenal, like Tommy Asu didn't think twice about coming And Real to Madrid, it should be pointed out. But, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, so like for a lot of these players, Arsenal is like a step up. And, you know, we've spoken about how they're young players, but they're still quite experienced players. So we've got that. Like it's not quite Project Youth when we were putting 18 and 19-year-olds in the team. These are like 22, 23 uh, kind of year olds. So, um, and and yeah I, yeah, I take your point on Odegaard. He came from Real Madrid, but I think like he's ready to kind of settle somewhere. Um, and and he's already been with us. So I think what you've got is a core of players for whom playing for Arsenal is like a real badge of honour. Like definitely for someone like Ramsdale, um, who's, you know, yeah, he's grown up in this country and everything, but played for Bournemouth and Sheffield United, like getting to Arsenal, that's that's kind of wow. Like that that's kind of what I was shooting for on this. So like I, I... and. You know, talking about connection to the club, I think everyone I've spoken to loves Tommy Asu. Um, Seems like everybody loves him. Period. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Who's like who's Japanese? Who's come from an Italian team? Um, but but people really love him. Um, and I think about like someone like Pierre Mertesacker who came to Arsenal and just really really got it, and he's still here after all these years in another role. And so I think sometimes you just get a player 
um, who kind of gets it, who gets Arsenal. And I think that's that's maybe something we lost over the years. You know, when you get players like Sanchez and Mkhitaryan and who've been at other kind of big clubs, and it's like, yeah, okay. and Willian, and it's kind of like, yeah, mm. okay, yeah, I'll go to Arsenal. They're, they're all right. Louise, check. Yeah, we, we've yeah, done yeah. sort of players getting a last payday at a club when you know that their ambitions have already been met previously at another destination. Precisely. So for, this is a step up for players who believe they're on an, who who are on an upward trajectory in their career and I, and I think and the fact they're coming in together and that's what happened in Lee Dixon's day as well right he came from Stoke Steve Bold came from Stoke Nigel Winterburn came from Wimbledon uh, David Seaman came from QPR Ian Wright came from Crystal Palace you know you had and and then they were surrounded by academy guys like Paul Merson and Paul Davis and David Rowcastle so you had this mix of players who'd either come up from I guess the lower divisions, which is not what's happened this summer, but I guess a loose equivalent and then surrounded by academy players. So I think essentially what you've got is a load of guys who want to play for Arsenal. Yeah. And I mean, there, there it's funny because it really does dovetail with what Lee was talking about, where these players came from, you know, uh, uh, where Winterburn came from and Bold came from. And, and, you know, when they got there already, I mean, uh, Tony Adams, who was younger, was already club captain, but you had some of that, you had some of that connection that was already there, but these players came in from, from lower league teams. And he talked about George Graham going out and scouting them and finding them at these lower league teams and bringing them in and feeling a huge ambition to prove themselves at Arsenal. And I think that there's something similar happening there, Paul. I mean, do you want to add on that? Maybe, maybe I'm taking the wrong tack. I mean, obviously it's, it's hard to miss the sort of English element that we did go for. I mean, we, we made a point to spend big on, on an English goalkeeper and an English center back. And we have two hail and, graduates who are, are an important part of the team, but you have Tomiyasu, you have Odegaard, you know, very important, Samuel Lukonga, Tavares, all playing their role already, all young, all likable, all coming to a place where this is a big step up in their career. You've sort of talked about it with Tierney too, feeling like these are people that are going to stay. They're not looking for the they feel next like lifers. Or, yeah, that's how you describe enough it. Enough yeah, of their ahead. career that we won't really care if they leave when they're 29 or 30. Mm. Um, look, I, I love what Tim did there because he took your... Uh, Poorly worded, of, rambling, terrible question, yes, and did what? No, well, it's kind <laughs> of... There's something there. You need that local... You need some essence. And the Academy brings us that. Uh, Saka, Smithrow. So that's obviously a dimension of what's going on. But... Tim immediately recognized it's a lot more than that when you, because uh, as he goes, Tommy Asu is a great example of it. I won't be surprised if Tim says the words or has admitted to say the words, he's actually written a blog on this because mm. there's probably one percolating there. Uh, Leave it till shorts. next week. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if I were writing a blog and I just think it's another dimension of it, I think we're, uh, it's early days and like in two weeks time, we could be crying in our beer at three weeks time. But right now, right, let's go with it. Let's not worry about the past or the future. There's something going on. So what is it? I think we've joined the gamblers club in the league. I think we have, there's a certain few clubs who have said, we've nothing to lose. Let's stop playing by the old rules, the old practices, and let's do something fresh, new, something different. Let's take good risks, but risks. Uh, we've left behind bloated arsenal of the last few years where we thought we were top four, top six, 
And if we just brought in, if we just re-signed that player and if we just brought in this older player with some experience, et cetera, et cetera, and as a few years go by, it just, you collect this uh, flotsam and jetsam um, that that you make all these decisions that one off maybe make some sense, but you just get this collection. Well, we hit the reset button and we've decided to gamble. Like Brentford gambled, uh, you know, a couple of the clubs are actually owned by actual gamblers, and they make they make actual decision maker making uh, it, it, the way a gambler would look at things. Like when you saw Brentford having ten players in the box against Liverpool uh, last game, that's the equivalent in hockey of pulling the goalie not with a minute to go but 10 minutes to go because you're two goals down you're three goals down and the odds say do it but clubs never do it because it's too ballsy nobody ever does that so you don't do it um i think we this summer and maybe leading into this summer uh, as a club with the ownership with uh josh possibly with edu with arteta they said, let's do it. Let's do it. They can see what's coming, right? More and more oligarchs buying clubs, uh, more and more gamblers coming up from the league below us. And they realized we have nothing to lose. We're not a top four club. We're not just temporarily out of the top four. We may not be temporarily out of the top six with your Leicesters, your Man United, your, sorry, your West Ham Uniteds, etc. And like they're all in. Uh, you and I discussed, Elliot, during the summer about, you know, is this, we like this. We like that we're good. everybody we're after and we're looking at is 21 to three, 23 years old. But maybe a little little balance here. Maybe mm. maybe not pull the, the, the uh, goalie with 10 minutes to go. Maybe three minutes to go. But they're like, no, 10 minutes to go because that's what, that's, that's what the gamble is. You know, maybe we should have got a couple of players, 25-ish, 26-ish in kind of, hitting their prime and they said no we're going we're going to the store that sells 21 to 3 23 year olds talented youngsters and we're spending all our money in that store despite what our nan advised her with mm. us with our christmas money we're just going to the one store and like we've joined the gamblers and the question is are we good at it i don't know but we're this we're kind of a unique uh, part of all of this in that we have resources, we have funds, we have money to a degree. Um, I don't think they'll do this again, though. I think this is it. It has to work with Arteta, with Edu, with this crew, with that 150 million. They've kind of hinted they'll buy one, or, you know, two or three players next summer, but they're not doing six. This is it. And in some senses, the the supporters, the away supporters, the home supporters have said, we don't know if this this is the guy or these are the players, but they might be. So we're all in. Uh, it, it won't be us that's the reason we, we didn't get there. So, like, Arteta's happy 15 days, most, most uh, his happiest 15 days in football uh, recently was about the alignment with the club, uh, with the ownership, with the backing he got, and the fact that the supporters were showing up and giving their voice. And like 
they're they're singing Arteta's name, and it's not because they're convinced. I mean, tell me if I'm if I'm wrong here, Tim. But it's not because they're certain he's the Messiah. He just, you know, he's the guy. This is the team. They're excited that something ballsy, brave, that we've grown a pair and we've rolled them into the middle of the table and we're going for it. And, and I didn't, in a way, I didn't like your question about Manchester United uh, and could that be the fourth place? I mean, I'd love if we got fourth place, but it's almost the old thinking, fuck that shit. Forget wh- how we might get into the top four. Let's, let's think about how we get good. Give it up, become good, uh, do the good football, make the good signings, have the good plan. Uh, you know, let it well, all yeah, go. I mean, if the process is good in theory, then yeah. the rest will work itself out. Yeah, that comes as a result. It's kind of that's what you get when you do the thing right. And I think there's a sense that includes all the things you guys have talked about, including the Hayland, the uh, the Smith Rowe, the Saka, mm. that is much bigger than that. It's that they decided we have nothing to lose, so let's make the good decisions from here on in and stop trying to protect one foot in, one foot out kind of thing. We'll buy a couple of players. We'll, you know, we'll try always the safe, smart choice, but it's not safe. Or smart. We're going for it. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I like that. Well, Tim, are you going to be at the Amex at the weekend? Uh, I'm not, no, because I'll be covering the Arsenal women games. But I think that brings me on to a point, possibly to wrap this thing up. What Paul was talking about there about, um, you know, Arsenal kind of (laughs) uh, putting it all on the table and saying, let's go for it. Very similar on the women's side, Paul. Like this summer, they've signed big players. Um, They've kind of sorted things out behind the scenes. They've stopped trying to be smart. Like the last couple of years on the women's side, they were trying to be smart. They were trying to buy like young players, et cetera, et cetera. And it's almost like something's hit them and they've gone, do you know what? Actually, we're competing with Chelsea and Man City for the title. So let's go and get players like Tobin Heath. And let's like, let's stop fucking about (laughs) basically is what's happened. And, um, I'm not going to do that. I've written about this line, but um, I, I did uh, record a, a section earlier with Andrew on the Askcast, which most people will be able to listen to after they listen to this. Second cousin of, of the, <laughs> I've written about this as I've recorded about this. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But um, yeah, like it, it's, it's very much a kind of right, like, Fuck, let, let's stop fucking about here. Um, you know, we're trying to win the league. We're trying to win the Champions League. We're competing with Chelsea and Man City because on the women's side, they are. Uh, they're, they're kind of equals of Chelsea and City, unlike on the men's side. And they've just gone, do you know what? What would Chelsea do? They'd buy Tobin Heath. Let's buy Tobin Heath and stop fucking about. So, like, I'm hopeful that that's a bit of a portent um, for what they're doing on the men's side um, as well. Like, they can't buy the equivalent of Tobin Heath on the men's side, but the the kind of let's stop fucking about side of it. Yeah, yeah and in a way, they, it's it, in a different... Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, no, after you. I, I was just going to say, it's sort of the different thing, right? Because Arsenal women are right on the cusp of being able, being ready to win titles and Champions Leagues. And so the way you stop yeah. fucking about there is you go ahead and you add that extra supreme talent cherry on top spare no expense go get that title get that champions league arsenal at the beginning of that journey and so what you add when you're at the beginning of the journey back up to the top is a little different than what you add when you're on the precipice and so i i think both both make sense paul it sounded like you had a a bit more to tag on to that 
No, no, you said it better. You, you, I was going to say that, but I wasn't going to put in that clincher precipice. That was good. Mm. Well, I think we can all agree that two pods is one pod too many today, but I'm not going to tell you which was the one pod too many. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Tim's on Twitter. Stuberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Enjoy the game this weekend. Enjoy the travel. Uh, I am getting my ducks in a row to travel to London. I couldn't be more excited about that and excited to see everybody at our event. Uh, Gunner Blog will be there. James McNicholas. Tim will be there. Clive will be there. I will be there. Paul will not this time, but hopefully next time. James Benj will be there. And if you can't get to the ticketed portion, right after the ticketed portion, 1630, 4.30 p.m. uh, at the Victoria Tavern on Holloway Road. Uh, I said road. Road. Holloway Road. Um, (laughs) There will be be a social hour, and uh, I will have slept by then, so I'll be coherent. Or, you know, maybe my usual level of incoherence. Either way, we love you so, so much. Thank you for putting up with this, me especially. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Brighton Nil. Thank you.